The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm your lead pastor here at Zao. It's so lovely to be with you this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm like really enjoying a little bit of reprieve from the blasting heat before we get another wave in a couple of days. But uh, we are in the middle of our series, Lies I Heard in Church. Now, some of the lies that we've gone over, lies about how, quote, homosexuality is a sin, or lies about the existence of trans people, uh, lies about Jesus implying that Jesus was white. Some of these things are a little bit more known. But I think if you had been tasked with some of the fundamental lies that you had heard or learned in church, how many people would have thought of the lie that you shouldn't trust your own heart? We've got a couple of folks for whom that's prominent, but I think for a lot of us, it, it's still there but it's been much more subtle. How many folks grew up in a church environment that said explicitly, directly, out loud, you shouldn't trust your heart? All right, maybe a third of the folks gathered in person. I don't know about folks online. Hopefully you're sharing in comments. I would imagine that most of the rest of us also grew up, if not in one of those churches that explicitly said it, with a lot of strong, indirect messaging that we shouldn't trust our own heart or our own gut, our own instincts, our own judgment. And a lot of this comes down to how you interpret the scriptures. We had five scriptures today, um, which is a bit of a diversion for us, but maybe you notice there's, there's a little bit of variation in how the scriptures talk about the heart. And even within that, there is this... Uh, shift that can occur depending on how you look at the text, whether you're approaching it from an idea that the heart is good, 
people are good, or the heart is awful and a liar and people are depraved. So let's take one of the ones square in the middle about protecting your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, that one sounds relatively sweet, right? Guard your heart, your precious heart. It deserves protection and support. That's how I always understood this verse. Until in the very early days of Zhao, I was gathered with some folks in my living room, right? This is like pre-Sunday morning. This is early Zhao days. And we were talking about the heart and talking about trusting oneself or not. And a member of our community said, oh, well, that verse about guarding your heart, that one always stuck with me. And this person told a story of growing up in youth group in a deeply fundamental um, conservative evangelical community. And at the time, in this youth group, this was like long enough ago that there were projectors, you know, projecting out of the wall, a little, you know, little light box. And the youth pastor had taken a picture, an outline of a heart, and put it on the projector screen. And he said, Many of you, when you were talking about the heart, and you hear that you're supposed to guard your heart, imagine this. And he put on a new layer that was a bunch of guards surrounding the heart, pointing out at the, the mysteries of the world, guarding the heart, keeping it under, under lock and key. And he said, that's not what this verse means. This is what this verse means. And he took that image away and showed an image of a heart still surrounded by men with guns, but the guns pointing in at the heart. Guard your heart, because it will lead you astray. Now, if that's the messaging you get about your own desires, your judgment, your instincts, at such a young and formative age, what does that do to your sense of identity, your sense of stability, your understanding of how to move in the world? I am not to be trusted. My heart is not to be trusted. It is dangerous. But it raises a question for me as an adult. Who are the men with the guns? And who's telling them what to do? When I was an adolescent, probably around the same age as when this person had this experience, I was in a bad way. Some of you know my adolescence was pretty rough. Um, and I had made some terrible choices. I was in my late adolescence living with a person I was dating a decade older than me. That person was not only addicted to drugs, but dealing them. And I, in a terrible place, mental health-wise and otherwise, uh, had started using drugs to cope. So I was a daily IV heroin user, living with someone 10 years my senior, and trying to survive. It wasn't going well. And at some point, I was like, well, this isn't going to work. And if I want to survive, I've got to get some help. And so after kind of blowing up my life and ending up in rehab, I was in a lot, a lot, a lot of therapy. And in therapy, one of the things that came up was that I needed to learn to trust myself. And I was like, are you serious? 
My judgment's terrible. I'm how I got into this situation. I trusted myself all the way into like a pit of despair. You're telling me that my next best move is to start trusting myself more? But what I didn't understand is that I had gotten into that situation in large part by not trusting myself. I had ignored all the red flags, all of the goosebumps, all of those moments of I don't know about this. And I had actually recruited substances to help me ignore my guts, my heart, my instincts. I had alienated myself from my own nervous system so that I could ignore myself more effectively. Now, I was one and the same, a person who had made all of those bad choices and a person who, deep down, if I could figure out how to listen, had good judgment. And those two things were really hard for me to square. And I think a lot of that difficulty for me came out of shame. I was ashamed of a lot of the choices I had made. And so it was easy for me to think, oh, well, I just, I'm a bad person, or I have bad judgment, or I cannot be trusted. But when you don't trust yourself, it's very easy for a toxic person to come in and say, that's right, don't trust yourself, trust me. Now, whether that person was, you know, uh, a person I was dating 10 years my senior, taking advantage of my youth and my naivete and my self-loathing, or a megachurch pastor standing in front of hundreds or thousands of people saying, don't trust yourself, trust me, ignore your instincts, about what might be off here, and trust me in my authority, I speak for God. Either way, that sets up a very vulnerable, very abusive power dynamic. Where does the power lie when you are told or convinced that you and your heart are not trustworthy? When we do our Bible reading, when we pursue our faith together in community, when we are discerning the truth, one of the things that we can never neglect is power analysis. Now, we are encouraged to look away from power when we're trying to understand the scriptures. It's supposed to be pure truth. And yet, the truth can be manipulated and abused so easily to shift power from the vulnerable to the already powerful, to further distort our relationships as God intended in the kingdom, to take power away from you and to put it in the hands of a few. One of the ways that people in power, and I'm not saying that all people who are um, preaching sort of uh, this self-worth questioning theology are doing this on purpose. Some people absolutely are. But how many times have we seen a megachurch pastor preach over and over again, your heart will lie to you, your instincts will lie to you, you cannot trust them, don't trust your flesh. And then, after a scandal, when that person has obviously, behind closed doors, abused their own power, they rely on that same theology. That theology that seemed to exempt them, don't listen to yourself, listen to me, then all of a sudden it comes as an excuse. Yes, I am, a, I am a, a, but a man. Ooh, I'm a man of weak flesh. Please forgive. And yet somehow five years later they're rehabilitated back to their authority position to speak on behalf of God. We need to do a power analysis. Who benefits from this understanding of theology and who is harmed? Every time 
we understand the scriptures. And it's so easy, it's so easy to think that power analysis is just like out there in the ether because this isn't about power, this is about my own deceptive heart. This is about my personal failings. And yet, there's one scripture that the heart haters rely on more than any other. It's from the book of Jeremiah. And the King James Version says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. I'm sorry, I can't help the like bad community theater energy. Um, that translation was written literally during Shakespeare's lifetime and seems to steal a little bit of that vibe. It's silly that we're still using it. Um, that translation, it uses words like deceitful and desperately wicked. I want to give you a translation that uses more modern language. The Common English Bible says, the most cunning heart. It's beyond help. Who can figure it out? I, the Lord, probe the heart and discern hidden motives to give everyone what they deserve, the consequences of their deeds. All right, still not fun. And I don't think it fundamentally changes the meaning, but it feels a little bit harder to excerpt that, to proof text it, to take it out of context, because that's exactly what the heart haters are doing. You want the context of that Jeremiah passage? It's juicy. All right, so we would imagine it's something like David and Bathsheba or some personal failure, right? My heart longs to abuse my power in a very personal and intimate way, and yet I shouldn't. I mean, you know, it wouldn't be a bad place for it, but that's not what it is. The book of Jeremiah is about the corruptness of Israel's religious leaders in that time. So the Bible Project says this, Jeremiah repeatedly accuses Israel's corrupt leaders. Their priests, kings, and prophets have all abandoned the Torah and the covenant, leading to the tragic consequence of rampant social injustice. The most vulnerable in their communities, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants, are being taken advantage of in clear violation of the laws of the Torah, and Israel's leaders don't even care. This is a text about the abuse of power, about the failure of the religious leaders to abide by Jewish principles and commitments to love and care for the vulnerable. This passage is about structural injustice. And when we remove it from that context and we say, oh yeah, you individual in the pew, your heart is not trustworthy. We take away the fact that this prophet spoke these words on behalf of God to corrupt leaders in power, saying, you don't care what happens to the vulnerable. You are using your power to amass more power. And so what do religious leaders do in our day? They turn around and they use that same verse to use their power to amass more power. This is an abuse of this verse. Now, there are so many different ways that the scripture talks about the heart. And you know what? Even on a personal level, I can relate to that one. That could have been me. That could have been me in my late adolescence, sitting in rehab, feeling like an idiot, 
being like, my heart, <sighs> desperately wicked. My heart, it's beyond help. But this is actually also one of the features of scripture. It speaks in human language and experience. And all of these statements are expressions of feeling. Who here hasn't ever felt for a moment like they are beyond help? That is a part of the human experience. And to weaponize that self-doubt against vulnerable people is a sin. Because the scriptures have so much more to say about the heart, including trust in the Lord with all your heart. Offer God your worship with all of your heart. The heart desires things. Scripture says God wants to give us the desires of our heart. Now, how does that make sense if our heart is desperately wicked? If all the desires of our heart are evil, why would God want to give them to us? Like most things, the scripture's take on the heart is very nuanced. And isolating one verse and berating people with it is, is an abuse of the scriptures. Now, this verse I just cited in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. This one seems, again, to kind of undermine, like, okay, I shouldn't trust myself. I should only lean on God. But what we see here is actually a collaboration between the heart and God. Trust in the Lord with your heart. Your heart is capable of trusting in God, is the subtext there, right? Your mind might lead you a little further astray. But in your heart, there is an inherent ability to trust God. And what I propose to you is that trusting in the self, trusting in your own heart, goes hand in hand with trusting God. Now back to my own uh, terrible moment. I really wanted to live at that point in my life, but I didn't know how to do it. And I felt like I was absolutely trash. But if I was absolutely trash, what was the point? This felt like intellectually important to me. If I am fundamentally worthless or bad or untrustworthy, then why am I trying to live a life at all? If there's no goodness in me, what is the point? If I can't trust myself, who is there to trust? Outsourcing trustworthiness had not worked for me. Saying, I can't trust my, myself, but I have to trust someone else. There's kind of a circular logic in that. How am I supposed to trust that I'm trusting the right person if I can't trust myself to trust? Right? Like, it's a trap. It's an absolute trap. I ended up sitting down with my dad, who had been a Lutheran pastor my whole uh, childhood and adolescence. And I was like, listen, Dad, I've read Augustine. I've read the original sin stuff. I know what the Christians have to say about me. It's a real bummer. And he was like, yeah, that's, you know, fair. But those are not all the Christians. And there are actually rich traditions that teach other interpretations about the nature of humanity. And I was like, really? Are any of them good? He gave me a book I've talked about here before. It's called Original Blessing by Matthew Fox, that engages that same framework of original sin, but from a very, very different perspective. Talking about the original blessing of the Spirit of God within us, 
the Spirit of God that is breathed into our lungs. And the story in Genesis, what makes a human is love and earth and the Spirit of God. Now, that book became very important to me, but there are many such works. There are other books that have echoed different parts of this same theology. Another favorite of mine is Made for Goodness. Made for Goodness by Desmond and Mfotutu, who is queer. And that mattered to me too. So many of us have been told not to trust our hearts, not only as a blanket statement to all people, but some of us are apparently especially untrustworthy. And I think, again, that's where this power analysis comes in. Why are the even more vulnerable told even more so your heart is not to be trusted? Do not trust your gut, your instincts. We can remake you in our image. Go to therapy. No good therapist will ever tell you that the path to healing is to completely distrust yourself. And so there are theologians, historians, studiers of the Bible who have said, actually, there's a lot of goodness in us, and the scriptures back that up. There are rich traditions that do not prey on our shame or our terror of unworthiness. Now, I want a side note, because I did grow up Lutheran, and Lutherans are not necessarily in the humans are great camp. I think that these other traditions are not necessarily wrong about the human experience. Luther, for instance, someone I ended up studying when I went to seminary, Luther was very human. Luther did a lot of amazing things, challenging the abuse of authority, saying, actually, no, you can't tell me not to think for myself, to just offer unquestioningly authority to the church. That was like his big shtick. But he had a few other slightly smaller shticks. And one of them was, oh, I'm trash. I'm trash, you're trash, we're all trash. Now, Luther had a pretty deep sense of self-loathing, and it's all up, down, and sideways in his writings. But he had a terror that he lived with. That terror was imposed on him by abuse within the church. That terror was, I will never be good enough. I will never be good enough for God. And Luther, out of that self-loathing, found, grappled with some true things. And the true thing he found and said as loudly as he could is there is nothing so bad I could ever do that I could lose God's love. And that is true. That is true. There's nothing so bad you could ever do to lose God's love. Now where Luther kind of ended on that was like, which is why it doesn't matter that we're all terrible, horrible, disgusting, filthy rags. Great news! And for Luther, that did feel like good news. But again, that's something that can be so easily twisted, emphasizing not the unlosability of God's love, but the dirty filthiness of your rags. Right? So we have these traditions, even the ones that can't fully Grap, 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 grapple with, grasp, cannot contain the goodness of humanity, and yet come up with these adjacent truths. God's love is not losable. God's love is for us. God loves us, which brings me to the question, who does God love? 
What would God love if not something worthy of love? We know we are worthy of God's love because God loves us. And that's one of the things that we can all agree on, at least when we're singing. (laughs) God loves us. God loves you. And God doesn't have bad judgment. We know that. Trusting yourself and trusting God go hand in hand. God made you good. Your heart is imprinted with the image of God. Who are we to call that wicked and beyond help? Trusting in God's goodness means trusting in your goodness. Now, in this tradition, Zao is connected to the Wesleyan tradition. There are lots of more, uh, more obvious conversations about the goodness of humanity. Humans are good. Humans are made in the image of God. This is clear in the scriptures. And one of the ways that we've learned to talk about that in the Wesleyan tradition is to talk about something called prevenient grace. Now, grace is a big conversation, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And if you go to school about it, they will give you all kinds of technicalities about the different layers and types of grace sanctifying grace, justifying grace. But the one that really the Wesleyans just are like totally into, prevenient grace. Sanctifying grace and justifying grace, the other kinds of grace are all about what God does in response to humanity or how God partners with humanity to heal us, to remake us after we have wounded ourselves or one another, to move through the brokenness of the world and say, I got you. We're going to fix this together. But provenient grace is the firm declaration that God's grace, God's goodness, God's love, God's image is at work in and through all of creation, including humanity. That God's grace is not something that we just receive when we get on the right team theologically, or when we say the right words in prayer, or we have the right amount of faith that we deserve it. We don't earn grace. And we also don't happen to stumble into it when we faith right. We are made out of God's grace. Prevenient, silly word, I would like to rename it. But prevenient grace means the grace that was provided to us from the beginning. The grace that called you into existence that you don't lose by making mistakes or being human. The grace that is the breath in your lungs that defines you. You are made by grace. You don't earn it, and you don't lose it. Your goodness is fundamental to who you are. It is the core of your nature. Your heart beats with God's prevenient grace. It is trustworthy. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. This doesn't mean that we don't do horrible things. Human beings are flawed and dangerous. We are capable of immense destruction. But our truest nature lies in our heart, made in the image of God and sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Philippians, the scriptures say, do not be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts 
and minds safe in Christ Jesus. And this is actually what's happening. What we long for is safety. When we have a sense of safety, we can access our trustworthiness. It is when we feel most terrified, most frightened, that we alienate ourselves from our hearts, from our best judgment, trying desperately to protect ourselves from one another, from ourselves. It is when we are scrapping for what little we can get because we don't trust that the abundance will hold us in safety. That's when we tend to sin the most. One of the metaphors we have for sin here is a tearing of relationship. If you imagine the universe intended by the grace of God to be a tapestry woven together, all these intricate pieces, every tear in that fabric represents a sin, a wound, and those can be small little tears inside the self or between people. They can be big gashes of abuse or the abuse of power. If you imagine the world in this way, our sin is not us going on a horrible rampage. Sin is an attempt at self-protection, a misguided one feeling the fraying fabrics around us, feeling the gaps between us and other people and God, stealing patches of fabric from elsewhere, trying to knit something back together, but finding that we only have a pile of fabric scraps behind us that we are now trying to protect even harder. We wound and wound and wound, trying to heal. It is when we are most terrified, when we do not trust in the abundance of God and the trustworthiness of our own hearts that we cause this kind of harm. In our tradition, one of the other metaphors for sin and the self is looking into a dusty, dirty mirror. And the sanctifying grace of God, that is the God, God's grace that partners with us to heal us, to bring us back into alignment with the true desires of our heart, to help us to be alive to the safety and joy and abundance of the kingdom. When we have that grace flowing through us, we can start to wipe away the dirt and grime on that mirror and see our truest selves more clearly underneath. The core of you is good. God made you that way. That doesn't mean that we always remember who we are. But rather than distrusting ourselves and saying, I flee from myself, we seek ourselves. We seek God in us. And we trust not only that we are good enough to find God in us, but that God is good enough good enough not to abandon us. God is good enough to be there when we look. Trust in yourself and trust in God go hand in hand. It is trusting fundamentally in goodness. God is good. You are good. We have what we need to do this. Though the messages that we've gotten are that we are not to be trusted, we actually have everything we need. It's, it's inherent to who we are. But we are a people that forget. God is the God who remembers. We are the people who forget. And so we look to God to find ourselves again. We look to one another to find ourselves again. We look to one another to find the God in each other. To more clearly see the world as God created. 
Soren Kierkegaard, one of my favorite philosophers, in his journals once wrote, and now with your help, God, I will become myself. That is a part of the spiritual journey. Dying to oneself is the language we have. And it is good language because it is dying to the false self. But ultimately, we are trying to resurrect into the new life of our truest selves. And now, God, with your help, we will become ourselves. We will become who you made us to be. We have everything we need to do that. In this tradition, one more tool, one more framework of how we talk about this is the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Luther said, you cannot abuse me. You cannot tell me just what you think as the church and tell me that's the only authority. Only scripture. Scripture can speak truth. And the Wesleyans came along a couple hundred years later and they were like, yeah, we need some other stuff too. We need the tradition and we need scripture, but we also need our experience and we need reason. And to me, when I discovered this in this tradition, I felt so validated. My experience does teach me who God is. My reason helps me understand who God is. One of the favorite sayings relating to reason and the quadrilateral in seminary was, God gave you a brain, use it. God gave you a heart too. It's meant to be used, to be trusted, to be listened to. In the scriptures, Jesus says to his followers, I've said these things to you, I've taught you, while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. My peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit of God is with you, in you, in your very lungs, in this community, moving throughout the world to help us discern, to help us learn from our mistakes, to develop good judgment and lean on it, to find our hearts again and listen to them. Is there enough divinity in you to be good? I say without question, yes. The Holy Spirit of God moves through your very body. The image of the divine creator is stamped on your heart. I had to, at that crossroads in my life, decide to trust in my goodness and God's. I needed to trust that something in me was good and worth redeeming. I needed to trust my gut when it said I was unsafe and seek safety. I needed to trust my heart when it told me to be my truest self. I needed to trust my instinct when it said that I had hurt someone. And I needed to trust my goodness, that it didn't mean that I was evil or worthless. It meant that I needed to be accountable and repair. And I learned to trust that I actually had what it took to do that. Now, I couldn't repair everything in this lifetime, or by myself. Some of it wasn't mine to repair. But I trust in the goodness of God. And I trust now in my goodness and in yours and in all of creation. And to me, this is what makes life worth living. God 
worth loving, and all of creation worth the love of God. Though our mistakes can be catastrophic, we trust that the Spirit will guide us into freedom and that on the other side of every wound is new life. You are good. God is good. And we have hope. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we say so often that you are good, but we forget who we are. God, we say we trust you, and yet we don't trust ourselves made in your holy image. God, help us to discern fact from fiction. Help us to analyze the power and the abuses of that power that seek to lie to us, to alienate us from ourselves. God, help us repair the wounds we have worsened inside of ourselves when we reject our own hearts out of fear and anxiety and terror and worthlessness. God, may your truth that we are loved, that we are lovable, and that there is safety in your abundance. Give us the hope we need to see you in us and one another. God, you are so good. Thank you for making us good like you. Amen.